Good morning. Welcome to Trinity's Daily Podcast. My name is Chris McDaniel, the senior pastor here at the church, and welcome to our podcast on this Wednesday. I'm going to read to you a passage from Matthew 23 um, and remind you that we're going to be in the next number of weeks uh, pivoting our daily podcast thread uh, over to a new feed and adding in the occasional spiritual practice to help empower you and root you in your life with God. So be on the lookout for that. When the time comes, we'll give you the exact information on the um, the name of the podcast and all that good stuff. But I wanted to give you an update that we will be continuing uh, the the daily podcast, just switching it to a to a new platform. Uh, but first, let's let's read before we spend some time in the Word um, reflecting on it today. Jesus says these words, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside look beautiful, but inside they are full of bones and of the dead and of all kinds of filth. So you also on the outside look righteous to others, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you testify against yourselves that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up them the measure of your ancestors, you snakes, you brood of vipers. How can you escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets, sages, and scribes, some of whom you killed and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town so that upon them may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barak, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all this will come upon this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you are not willing. See your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray, and we'll think together about what Jesus is saying. Lord, we ask you today to help us. Help us to hear the word of the Lord. God, this is a really hard passage, and so Lord, we need your grace to hear it, uh, to receive what we can, to see what you want us to see. And so, Lord, we ask for that grace now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, as I alluded to in my prayer, this is a hard one. Uh, I was tempted to pick a psalm and call it a day. (laughs) And I thought, no, we need to follow on this theme of of what Jesus is saying about uh, the interior life and specifically his rebuke of the Pharisees. If you checked in with us on Monday, you heard me say on Monday, you know, Pharisees are were the religious leaders of the day. They were the teachers of Israel. Uh, they were not, their, their position was not a bad position. They just weren't many of them living in a way that was consistent with what they taught and what they said they believed. And here Jesus actually points out another uh, layer of the sin of the Pharisees. So here's what I want us to do today if we can. Rather than thinking about this passage and what I'm about to say as being for someone else, think about it uh, for you. Where is God asking us to see things? I think it's always better when we first internalize a message before we turn it out and say, oh, (laughs) Uncle Bobby needs to hear this or that person at my job or that person I'm married to or one of my family members needs to hear it. let's, Let's let our own ears hear this first. So what is Jesus saying? First, 
if he's speaking to the Pharisees and then by extension to you and me, the first thing Jesus wants to say to us is this, our insides count. And additionally, the smell of death in those inside spaces cannot be disguised forever. So he uses this imagery of a whitewashed tomb, and that is such a, a startling image. It's a perfectly placed image for this moment. Jesus is saying you can paint the outside of that tomb to make it look beautiful, but if what's inside is death, death is what defines it. And what he's basically saying to us is that if, if our hearts, if the core of who we are is, is death, is not alive in God, then no matter what we do on the outside, it will not ultimately disguise the smell of death. And we must say, if we're honest, that image management is one of our favorite sins. And today, you may not be cultivating a religious persona. I mean, maybe you are, but, but maybe you're not. Probably you're not. But when we extend, tend simply to the externals, to the exclusion of tending to our internals, our hearts, our insides, we just frankly miss the invitation that God gives each and every one of us to live a God-sustained life. Another thing Jesus is saying here is that our lived experience, our actual lives, always tell the story of the direction of our hearts. See, we have the same problems, I think. We, we have the same temptations, the same weaknesses, the same blind spots that our ancient ancestors had. If, if we think that we can just say the right things or curate the right image or... Uh, put forth the right reading list and think that that means we're okay, we're just deceiving ourselves. What you do in your day-to-day -day life is actually more of an indicator of the direction of your life than any stance you take or post you make. Jesus indicts the religious leaders by reminding them that they, through their actions, killed the prophets, those who would call them to life change. He basically says to the Pharisees, Y'all are exactly the kinds of people who do the things that you do. And I think he says the same thing to you and me. And that's a super distressing piece of information. It's uh, troubling news for most of us most of the time to hear that we're exactly the kinds of people who do the things that we do. But it's true. The way Jesus ends this story after this scathing indictment of the Pharisees actually contains hope in it. Now, there's more pain but there is hope in the imagery. And I just want to end today with this because if we're going to be rebuked by God, right? If, if he's saying to us, like your life actually tells the story of who you really are and where you're really headed, then the story that Jesus tells at the end about the hen wanting to gather her chicks under her wings is actually really, really instructive and frankly, very hopeful. So the picture that Jesus has uh, in his mind as he tells the, the story, and I'm going to read the last bit again and then, I'll tell you the story. The picture Jesus has when he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The picture that Jesus has when he utters those words is of a barnyard fire. And I want you to imagine an enclosed space with hen and her baby chicks just clucking uh, around the barnyard. They can't get out because they, they, they can't, they're, they're enclosed so as not to flee or to become lost or to become ravaged by a fox or a wolf. 
But when a fire starts inside that barnyard, there's no way of escape. And the picture that Jesus has of Jerusalem, and I think by extension the church, by you, when he thinks of you and me, is life contains fires. And when the fire happens, the chickens run in every direction. Their first instinct is to scatter because they're looking for a way out. They want to solve their problems. They want to get out of the away from danger, out of, out of the heat. But the mother is in the middle of the barnyard. And she knows what the chickens don't yet know, which is that there's no, there's no escape. There's no self-saving, no self-preservation that's going to save any of them. And so rather than trying to flee, as her chickens are doing, she stations herself in a visible space in the middle of the barnyard and she lifts up her wings, inviting her chickens to stop trying to save themselves and to run to her. And do you see how counterintuitive that is? The chickens are trying to run away from the danger and the hen is inviting the chickens to come toward the center where the danger is probably most prevalent, but it's also where she is. And what she wants is to hide them under her wings. What she's hoping for is after the fire has had its way and taken her life, as Jesus's life was taken on the cross, that there would be living chicks under her wings, preserved, sheltered, saved by her. And what Jesus says in this story, after rebuking people just like us, he says, but you were not willing. But I want to say this, that doesn't have to be the end of the story for you and for me. I believe that in every generation, in every life, Jesus gives each and every one of us an invitation to turn to him and let him do for us what our ancestors refused to let him do for them. And so it begs the question, How deeply entrenched is that self-preservation instinct in me? I'm just like a chicken. I run trying to press my own luck at escaping when trouble comes. And for many of us, the last weeks have been, and months, frankly, have been uh, a kind of case study in our own frantic desire to figure out and solve our own problems and save ourselves. And there comes a time where you just can't save yourself. So what do you do when that happens? See, for me, when I think about self-preservation, and that's what the chicks were doing, and I think that's what Jesus is trying to get us to see in this passage. He's trying to get us to see that self-preservation, trying to save yourself, never works. It's an understandable instinct, but it never works. And there are three questions I ask myself that help me recognize the places where I'm tempted to self-preservation. Number one, what am I afraid of? What's scaring me right now? Number two, what do I feel compelled to hide? Like, where do I feel compelled to hide something about myself? That's usually a sign that there's some self-preservation going on. And number three, what am I trying to protect? And sometimes some self-reflection helps me know, oh, that's why I'm running away from God, not toward him. That's where I'm falling victim to self-preservation. See, it didn't work for the chickens and it doesn't work for me. But it's not too late for any of us to turn to Jesus, to turn to our mother hen. And I just have to say, it's like one of my favorite images of Jesus in the Bible. He, he paints himself here as a mother that, that, that wants to save us. Jesus, save me. May Jesus save you. And I don't just mean save you in the Baptist church going to an altar way of saving, but preserve you from this current, this present darkness, this current moment that we're in. 
So where do you go? Which way do you head when the fire breaks out? Where are you headed right now? Where are the forces at play in your life that would push you into a frantic effort at self-preservation? I think we have to get answers to these questions and then learn to look to God rather than our own resources. May God help us and bless us. This is why in the coming weeks, we're going to begin to really press into some spiritual practices to teach you how to do uh, this life with God. Essentially, I just want to teach you how I do my life with God, how Karen, how we do our life with God, uh, because we think you ought to know, because Lord knows we need right now, not just inspiration, we need to be uh, preserved by God. May you do that for you today in Jesus' name. Amen.